Welcome to our Sunday night teaching time, church. We were committed to Sunday nights when we were gathering together, and now that we're cyber gathering, we're still committed to Sunday nights, and it's great to have this time where we we're studying when life seems to swallow you whole. Thoughts on God's will from the book of Jonah. And I wanna I wanna look at the subject tonight of how not to pray when your life is in a mess. There's things that Jonah does so badly here, and I want us to try and learn from it and see some correctives from the Psalms where David almost makes some of the same mistakes and then, and then recalibrates his prayer life in a more effective way. So how not to pray when your life is in a mess? That's the first point. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Verse 1 maybe needs a bit of explaining, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What displeased Jonah was uh, he eventually did grudgingly obey the Lord, go to Nineveh. And the text says in the last chapter, he walked three days across that big city, and he pronounced judgment. God was going to judge Nineveh. Nineveh repented. In, in a symbolic act, right from the king down, the whole city has this official change of heart and repentance. They call out to God, and they repent of their sins and their wickedness. And that, strangely enough, that's what displeases Jonah. He doesn't love the Ninevites. He hates the Ninevites. They are of the Assyrians, and they have uh, attacked. They brutalize God's people. And so Jonah just has no use for the, for the Ninevites, and he can't believe that God would show mercy and offer them a chance to repent. So that's what displeased Jonah in the first verse. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, those are the things that in our worship courses, those are the things we praise God for. Those are the beautiful things that we admire in God. Those are the things that are driving Jonah nuts. He's upset desperately that God is like that to the Ninevites. I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. I, I just want to die. I can't live with you showing that kind of grace to Nineveh. It is better for me to die than to live. So, so many things are out of whack here. Let's just look at four or five of them. First, Jonah's words to the Lord, they're, they're just full of complaint and grumbling. It's not just that he's honest. God can take honesty in prayer. We'll look at that in a minute. But there's nothing of, there's nothing that isn't rebellious in Jonah's heart as he prays. True, he's talking to God, that's what he says, but he's still justifying his cold heart toward the Ninevites. So he talks to God, and the reason he talks to God is to tell God that his heart is just fine the way it is. Thank you very much. So, so he's almost unraveling. You know, we thought he was repenting in the belly of the fish. There's some beautiful 
There's some beautiful phrases in that prayer in that chapter. And it looked like repentance, but it really wasn't. He's almost unraveling that repentance. Honesty is good <clears throat> as long as it's a humble honesty, one that remembers who is all wise, who is sovereign, who is perfect, and who isn't. And that's what Jonah forgets. Yes, you can be honest with God. You, you can see it over and over in the Psalms. Complaints get poured out. Questions get poured out. You don't have to pretend with God, but you can't be full of self. You can't be rebellious and bring your heart to God in prayer at the same time. I said, you can see the correction of some of these things in the Psalms. You can see, for example, David. He catches his own heart in the middle of this very same process, and he, and he turns it around. It's in Psalm 73. If you have your Bible, look at Psalm 73, verses 13 to 16. We'll just lift that passage out. All in vain, 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning, so he sees the prosperity of the wicked. He says, I've been holy and pure for nothing, in vain. What's the point of following you? Other people have a much better life than I have. How can that be right? How can that be fair? God, you aren't dealing straight with me. Now, 15. If I had said, I will speak thus. Now, if I had continued like this, David catches himself. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So, he starts down the same kind of prayer path that Jonah was on, but he catches himself. He, he, he humbles himself. He brings an element of repentance. He sees what's going on under his own skin as he prays. Now, back to Jonah's prayer. Here's the second thing that he does wrong. Notice that Jonah's mind is totally centered on himself. I mean, prayer is... If, if anything, prayer is primarily about God, it should be a time of exposing our heart to God. It should be a time of bringing our motives to God. It should be a time of, of clarifying our values, our desires, our affections, all of that we bring to God when we pray. But there's little of that in Jonah's prayer. It's, it's just this self-pitying that he's wallowing in. I just want to die. I can't stand that you're gracious and loving to these people. I wouldn't be, so you shouldn't be either. That's what Jonah says. He's totally filled with self. Now, if you want to see the opposite, again, look at Psalm 25, 4 and 5, where the psalmist, these are beautiful verses. These are great life verses. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth, and teach me. Notice that phrase, lead me in your truth. I, I don't want you to be there, me to be here, me looking at the truth that you have for me and then deciding whether I'm going to accept it or reject it, a Jonah kind of thing. Lead me, lead me in your truth. God, I might not be there yet. Take my heart, drench it in your truth. 
Take my heart and walk it through your truth. Make me put my feet on your path. So it's this, it's this beautiful prayer. God, take what isn't right and lead me right into your truth. Make me willing to be bound by your truth, committed to your truth. Look at the third thing. Here's what's wrong with Jonah's praying. There's not an ounce of thanksgiving in it. I've never been swallowed by a fish. I would hope if I have been, I'd be grateful if God delivered me. I can't imagine Jonah can't think back just that length of time. He's been delivered from the digestive system of a large fish. He's been saved in the storm at sea. He has been involved. God used him in an incredibly meaningful uh, we would call it an evangelistic campaign for a whole city of Nineveh. God used Jonah, even though Jonah was rebellious and trying to get away and escape. God still used him. You'd think there'd be something in his heart that would, that would trust in the goodness of God. But there's none of that. He doesn't seem to even think of those things. One point of confusion, one point of stubbornness, it blinds us to so many things that God has already done. Boy, what a lesson there. Four. Here's another thing. Jonah doubts the wisdom of God. I mean, it's one thing, we would all agree, I think, that we don't understand fully all the ways of God. His ways are not ours. And his ways are not always even obvious to us, and we don't have to pretend that they are. But it's another thing entirely to elevate your conceptions, your ideas, your opinions, your values, to take them and put them above where God is. So you're actually correcting God. You're actually, maybe you wouldn't word it like that, you start carving a God in your own image, one who's as tolerant as the culture around us, one whose values are very much like a fallen world, uh, happens all the time. I mean, that second verse, it's nothing but a, an I told you so to God. Look at 4.2. Jonah prays, please, Lord, isn't this what I said? He's justifying. I was right. Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. Justifies himself. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. He knew God was like that. He, he can't accept that God would be like that to Nineveh. He starts evaluating, measuring God by his own values. Boy, that's a common trait. It's called making God in your own image. You don't have to carve an idol to do it. You just take the dominant values that seem appropriate to you and you ascribe them to God. God must be like that, because that's how I think. It's very, very commonly done. Here's the question. Is God still allowed to be offended by things that no longer offend you? Make yourself answer that. Is God allowed to be offended by things that no longer offend you or no longer offend our culture? Jonah doubts the wisdom of God. God must be wrong. Fifth, this is the last thing. Here's another thing that's wrong. There's no love in Jonah's heart. Maybe it's the, it's the deepest and clearest clue 
that there's something wrong inside the heart of Jonah. I mean, he can't stand the fact that God's going to be gracious to these sinful people. Well, how blind do you have to be to God's grace in your own heart that you can't stand it when God isn't gracious to someone else? How blind do you have to be to the character of God and what he's truly like? Jonah is pouting because God has shown grace. It's not that God doesn't take the sins of Nineveh seriously. It's not that God doesn't take the sins of Newmarket seriously or Toronto seriously. But he's loving enough to call us to repentance. Look at what happens in Nineveh. God isn't pretending that they don't deserve judgment. He announces coming judgment. Why does he do it? Because he wants them to repent. He loves them. They need to repent or they will be judged. That doesn't conflict with God's love. He calls them to repentance. And he wants Jonah to have that kind of heart. And he doesn't in this prayer. So there's five things under that first point. How not to pray when your life is in a mess. Now, point number two. We'll, we're almost done here. God doesn't answer Jonah's foolish request to die. You see it in that third verse? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Like, what a whiner. It's better for me to die than to live. And there's just no greater proof of God's mercy to Jonah or to us many times than the fact that he doesn't answer all of our impulsive, silly prayers. More often than not, we need to learn that when, when God doesn't answer immediately, in the direction my prayer is going, it's, it's not that he's indifferent. It's that he's wiser than my request. It's not that he's indifferent. That's not what God's silence or denial means. It's that he is wiser than what I might be asking. He has another plan than I can see at the moment. Point number three. God responds to Jonah with this object lesson of the vine and the worm. These are great verses, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. So after this prayer time, uh, Jonah's still taking a little bit of a fit. And it says, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there, probably of branches, some kind of a construction, and he sits there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's watching. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort, the sun. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And now he's going to say it again. And he asked that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. So here's what God does with Jonah. God sends a plant to provide shade so he's not going to be so hot. Jonah likes that. Then this worm comes and destroys the plant and the sun is beating down on Jonah. 
And Jonah hates that. So Jonah, here's the deal. Here's what God wants to show Jonah in this lesson. Jonah can mourn the loss of a plant that gives him shade. He can genuinely mourn the loss of that plant, but he can't grieve over a lost city of Nineveh. And, and it's God's way of saying, Jonah, really? This, this is what concerns you. you. You don't care about all these lost souls that I want to have repent. That bugs you, but you care desperately about a plant that gives you a little bit of shade. That, the loss of that really bothers you. And it's this revelation of, of how, I, here's what I want to take to heart for me. It's very easy for me to give a lot of attention to things that aren't that important and not care about a lot of things that really are. I think of it whenever we have World Impact Sunday. I think of it every time I think of the things that God's Word wants to correct and change in my heart that I might not be all that anxious to change because I've got other things that seem more important to me. And this picture ought to come back over and over again. Here's the last point. Notice the importance of children and animals. I get that in verse 11. This is the wrap-up where God says, so, so Jonah, you're, you're whining the death of this plant that was there for a day. That bothers you. And then God says, just continues now, verse 11 of 4. And should I, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. There's a lot of ways that people look at those words. Most, most commentaries, most scholars seem to think that probably 120,000 small children, not at the age yet where they can even discern their right hand from their left, and God cares about them. Here's Jonah. He doesn't want God sparing Nineveh. Has he lost sight of the fact that there's 120,000 children in Nineveh? Doesn't bother Jonah, the prophet of God? It doesn't bother him? And God has to bring his attention. And here's how I want to wrap up. Here's the heart of God. God notices the people that don't seem to count very much, the people that can't vote yet, the people that don't have any money yet, the people that can easily be, especially in the terms of that culture and that society the people who had not much going for them at all. And God notices the weak. And God notices the downtrodden. And God notices those who particularly need compassion. I think of the abortion issue in our land. And, and so many others. And you start to see this is what the heart of God is like. And God has to show Jonah, these are the kind of things that I care. You want to you you complain about a plant that died? Here, Jonah, here's what I care about. Dawn, Cedarview, here's what I care about. I want people to repent. I don't want them receiving judgment. And I want to use places like this to call people to Christ. God help us to learn that lesson. Let's pray, church. Thanks for your word and thanks for this book. So grateful we could take time on Sunday nights, our gathering time together, now gathering this way for a little while but still able to devote ourselves to your word, to take your word into our hearts. Help us like the psalmist prayed in that 25th Psalm. Lead me in your truth. 
not just to know about your truth. Take my life and, and stick it deeply in your truth. Let it shape our lives. Bless us, guide and direct us. Keep your hand upon us all week long. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us in our prayer time for Teen Challenge. Wait on the Lord together. God bless you, church, and love one another.